this episode, Dr Kerry Thomas concludes his examination of a century in the history of the gallery and the Swansea art scene, recorded in March 2014. So, talk one, back in January, I looked at the first third of the century, which covered, therefore, 1910 to 1945. And really, we saw in that talk that, that Swansea was preeminent on the South Wales art scene. In talk two, I looked at the post-war scene, the immediate post-war scene, 1945 to 80. And again, now the scene gets more complex. It begins with Swansea, is still very, very significant, but that kind of supremacy of Swansea is quickly eroded. Um, Cardiff becomes capital of Wales in 1955, and we know in our own more recent times that it is the site, despite all that discussion, it was going to be the site, it always was going to be the site of the National Assembly. So in the middle of the century, if you like, Cardiff and various other developments, Cardiff and then Newport became very prominent on the South Wales scene. Tonight, I go beyond history, which is problematic and it's also very exciting. So tonight, we are looking at the scene since 1980. And as I say, we're really going beyond history. You know, the normal convention is that you think of a generation. You need a generation, really before you can have historical perspective on things. So if we go back 25 years, and I find it shocking because it seems more recent than that, 25 years ago is 1989. And you remember, you know, that was a significant year when the Berlin Wall comes down. So I think we now can see the kind of fall of the Berlin Wall, if I can broaden it beyond South Wales for a moment, as, as sort of perhaps where comfortably, you know, we can talk about history. But tonight's talk, goes way beyond the 80s, I'm looking at the 1990s, I'm looking at the year 2000s, and the most recent work I'm going to talk to you about was acquired by the gallery at the end of, or during 2013. So this part of the talk, um, are obviously going to begin in the 1980s, and the kind of first kind of significant works that the gallery was collecting in that period. Technically, the 80s had two curators, Glyn Vivian had two curators. The tail end of John Bunt, who I mentioned last time, who'd been in post since 1967 and um, is departing the scene by end of 81, beginning of 82. So he doesn't really feature. I'm not really dealing with him tonight and what he collected. That was last the last talk. So our starting point is this year, 1982, when these works were acquired. And this was with the arrival of a new curator at the gallery. And this was Hilary Woolley who was in post, really, for the rest of the 80s, from 1982 to 1989. She trained in Manchester Poly, which is quite interesting, because you'll notice that Peter Ellis, the top piece there, um, he also started his training in Manchester, so there's a kind of synchronicity there as well. Um, research tells me that, looking at the Glyn Vivian um, archive material, that she trained and worked, first of all, in England, in, in Barnsley, she established the Cooper Gallery and got very interested in modern materials, which I suppose, in a way, seems obvious now, doesn't it? Um, but they were quite exciting then. So plastics and other mass-produced materials was something she was very interested in as a curator. Also, something more historical, wooden-soled shoes was, was a fascination of hers. And I think it, it sort of manifests itself, and this might surprise you, it surprised me, the Glyn Vivian only owns one installation, and we think of installation art as recent, but here we are, back in 1979, Peter Ellis, who trained in the Manchester area, is producing 
um, an installation. It was known as Living Room. I don't know if there's anyone in the room that remembers, but he had a major show <coughs> in the gallery in 1982, Peter Ellis, and it extended, which was sort of very much in the spirit perhaps of the times, into the centre of town. So in the quadrant, I believe it was, as well as this room, which he calls Living Room, he, he had a piece, and again, we think of installation as now, we think of Tracy Emin's bed, but there was Peter Ellis's mm. bed in the quadrant, and it was a coaching bed if you wanted to um, engage with it. So um, the, uh, the art, the art in the early 80s that was actually really quite surprisingly um, original at this point. In the same year as you can see, um, the gallery acquires a Harry Holland painting, this was purchased by the Friends of the Glyn Vivian. A lot of the images I'll show tonight did come by the Friends, so you can see how important the Friends of the gallery has been over the last 20, 30, 40, and even 50 years. Um, so Harry Holland, and there's a kind of connection, isn't there, perhaps, between the domestic objects and the Harry Holland. You know, often, certainly Holland's work, Holland, who was actually English, and technically he was born in Scotland, but, but English by formation, so he'd come into Wales, like Peter Ellis. Um, but his earlier work at this period is very much to do with the domestic. It's a kind of domestic setting, although there is always that sort of sense of mystery and unease in Holland as well. And maybe that sense of mystery takes us into the third work on the screen there, which is by Glyn Jones. Glyn, as the name suggests, um, was not someone coming into the South Wales scene. So obviously the scene I'm talking about will involve people coming from elsewhere into our locality, but as well as those who are already from it. Glyn is very much from it. He was born in the Rhondda, went to Cardiff Art School. He's part of what's known as the second Rhondda group. Um, and you can see some of the details there. I'm not going to read them all out. As I'm talking, you can be absorbing some of that information. But that sense of mystery is very much what Glyn's work is about. This is called Four Maxen. It's a reference, of course, to the Mabinogion, but also to Again, a much earlier case of an outsider coming into Wales, the, the sort of legendary Maxen of um, late Roman period who um, marries, can we talk about Welsh or was it Celtic princess mm -hmm. at that point? Now, I don't know, you've been staring at it for a while, but Glyn has painted this in a very subtle, layered way, but what should gradually be emerging from that dense, rich colours is a kind of aura, a kind of halo or wreath which again is a, a reference to, to, um, to the, the kind of Roman and Celtic origins. Next, please. Okay, so um, yes, so the 80s under Hilary Woolley begins in quite an exciting way, as you saw, with, with the only installation that the gallery had, um, and I suppose that is a problem for curators, is how do you store um, work that takes up more space? Again, quickly scanning the dates, you can see these works are now acquired in 1983-1984. Two of them are by Peter Prendergast, who again, if those of you that know what Abertridor is, again it's South Wales Valleys. He ultimately, he always felt you know, South Wales, but he ultimately is active in North Wales, and of course Bethesda Quarry is in North Wales. But I'm including it in a talk about the South because he, he very much kept to his roots. And these pictures were shown down South. And in fact, they came into the collection, these expressionist paintings, part of that huge tradition of landscape painting in Wales. 
um, you know, which I don't need to tell you how far back it goes. And it continues into the present. It's, it's, it's one of the kind of things that underpins Welsh art and culture. But you know, Prendergast showed these works um, in the Glyndebyrgian, first of all in a group show, which was called The Dark Hills and the Heavy Clouds, which is actually a quote from Cuffin Williams. Um, that was in 1982. And in the following year, he had a solo show in the gallery called The Road to Bethesda. So South Wales audiences were seeing the work of this passionate South Walian. Um, yes, I, I'm tempted to digress. I, I almost had a lovely long meeting with him at what was turning out to be the end of his life, but it was never to be. I was going to be doing some more research on him. He, he'd invited me up to his house. But it was, he, as you can see, he died relatively young, just over the age of 60. So Prendergast there, and the other artist there, Terry Setch, who's still very much with us. Um, Terry's a decade older than Prendergast. Uh, again, an, a, an example of an artist who came into Wales, and as often was the case, came in in order to teach. You know, he trained in, born in London, trained in the southeast, particularly at the Slade, and I'll mention that again later, um, was involved in Barry Summer School, and taught um, as had Glyn Jones, who I mentioned in the last slide, taught in Cardiff for virtually the whole of his career, you can see right through to 2001. In fact, Setch and Jones retire in the same year, because they're, they're born in the same year as well, so they retire in 2001. Um, Terry's work, Explosion, dates to 1983. He's now an RA, he's a senior figure on the British art scene, and his work needs a fair bit of unpacking, but suffice it to say that he has lived all his life in Penarth and that area um, and is fascinated by the coastline as of course Marconi was with his transmissions and in fact some of his early work relates to that but but he he's a kind of beachcomber artist um, also of course being on the coast there he's staring across isn't he at Hinkley um, and both Terry and his wife Diane who's still very active on the art scene as well were committed CND supporters. So perhaps that explains the title of the work, if you notice. Explosion. Um, next, please. So again, continuing with the 80s, we now see a slight switch as we come into the sort of middle of the decade. These works are acquired 84, 85, and it involves not just painting, but also sculpture. Top left, you'll see an early work by Robert Harding, um, Robert and I are, are fellow members of the Welsh group, which I mentioned, I think, being founded when I was giving my part two talk um, last month or whatever it was. Robert comes from a background in engineering. He's, he's from England. His father was an engineer. So it's not surprising. That's really important to remember when you look at his work. Um, he uses metal, which is a kind of favourite device of heavy, heavy engineering. Um, favourite material, and it's, it, is, it is sort of engineered as well. It's very finely um, formed. This is called Shotton, which of course has obvious connotations with the steel industry here in Wales. Um, when Robert first came to Swansea in the early 80s, you know, he said how he was welcomed to the place very much. And you know, the gallery um, buys this piece from him in 1984. He quickly got to know um, Glenis Corr, who you know, remains a figure in not quite my, f well, yes, she does. Glenys extends across my three tours, amazingly, because she trains in Cardiff um, from 1940, so she sneaks into my part one, 
Um, she finishes in 1945, which is when part two begins. Of course, she was trained by Kelly Richards. Um, Glenys originally from Fishguard, uh, someone who, who loves the kind of the coast and colour, and I think it comes through in this cliff park, cliff path painting from the same year that it was bought, 1984. And the third piece is is a David Carpanini, um, an artist from another part, again from the South Wales Valleys, from Abergwynfi. Um, this piece is called Wayward Wind. He trained completely in England and is taught in England and, and lives in England, but has always felt those very, very strong um, South Wales roots. And it's a kind of typical, look at the diversity there of what the gallery's collecting, the diversity. I was talking to um, one of the audience earlier and we were saying, you know, about, you know, of course there's art in South Wales, of course there's art. Look, look for the kind of richness of variety there. But, you know, a typical kind of valley street um, by Carpanini. Obviously not originally Welsh or a name like that. So again, this kind of cosmopolitan nature of South Wales. Okay, so let's move to the last um, slide for the 1980s. This is under um, Hilary Woolley's term of office, as it were, as curator. And again, three more artists, again showing diversity. I guess one of the themes here is kind of an expressionist style, but it's certainly the South Wales environment, isn't it? On the left, we have a, a work by Nicholas Evans, called Coming to the Surface. Um, Nicholas Evans has a kind of parallel in his sort of thinking to perhaps Glyn Jones. I mean, visually, you might see it as very different. But both Glyn, Glyn, Glyn Jones and Nicholas Evans are deeply religious painters, um, you know, from the chapel tradition. And you can perhaps sense that in this piece, and certainly the title, you know, Coming to the Surface. It's almost a kind of an equivalent of resurrection. You know, when the miners went down the shaft, they didn't necessarily know they'd always come back up alive. And of course, Nicholas Evans' own father had died in the mine, and you know, Nicholas himself was a pit boy when that had happened, which is why he ended up having um, a lifetime career as a railwayman and was advised to take up painting um, for his health. When he retired, his health deteriorated. In, in his, art is good for you, folks. Um, this, is, uh, uh, this is absolutely true. In his 60s, he, his health been a railwayman, so he hadn't spent long in the mine, so it couldn't have been that. The doctor said, you, you are very unwell, you know, you need to do something, why didn't you take up a hobby? Look how long he ended up living, 1907 to 2004. <laughs> yeah, this is of our Welsh grandma Moses. Um, Will Roberts, again, look at his lifespan as well, 1907 to 2000. Uh, Will from Neath, I remember visiting him in his house there on Bilton Road. This is the public reading room, probably based on studies in Neath Library. Uh, again, acquired by the gallery in 1987. Originally, so he does the opposite in a way of um, someone like um, Peter Prendergast. He's originally from North Wales and ends up in the South. Does it in reverse. Comes here as a youngster. His training, I mean, there are, there are various issues with Will um, which were difficult for him um, in relation to the kind of reputation of Joseph Herman, but Will had to always earn a living and in fact worked in a jeweller and watchmaker shop in Neath all his life. So his training at Swansea goes right back to the 20s and 30s, but he, he, he really had to find a way to fit in painting around 
earning a living elsewhere. And this, of course, this is another aspect, isn't it, for the South Wales art scene, whichever of the periods I'm talking about. Third artist, Valerie Gantz. Valerie, who some of you will know, um, Swansea born, Swansea trained, Swansea teaching as well. She taught at the art school from 57 to 73, having studied there before that. Um, again, if you look at the dates, you can see how young she was when she starts. Born 1936, already at the art college in 1951. And again, that wasn't unusual for people to start at the age of 15 or 16 at that time. Of course, at that point, she'd have been Valerie Watkins. Um, you may know the Watkins family. And a little aside for you, some people don't know this, but Valerie's mother was an art student at Swansea, at the art college in Swansea, alongside Kerry Richards. So there's a kind of lineage there, which is interesting. So again, the other interesting thing here is, of course, is Valerie's unusual in that she is a woman artist who actually um, works from the motif of the coal mine and actually went down underground as well. So you know, she's literally breaking new ground by doing that as a woman artist. Good. So we now go into another decade. And as we're going to see, if there's kind of one continuous sort of art form that goes right through this talk, it is of course painting. You know, it's paint, there's painting in the 80s, 90s, 2000s and, and the present. You know, that uh, periodic announcement that painting is dead, um, it can, it's continuously proved wrong. We're going to see quite a different change once we get to the year 2000. Um, you know, the kind of pattern of, of art production in South Wales and collecting of the Glyn Vivian does change. But, but painting remains a, a leitmotif right through this. So again, another name for some of you, because I said we're not really dealing now. Once we come into this point, I feel now we've left history. Okay? We've left the 80s. We don't have the same pers historical perspective from here on in. We're, we're into the 90s. And I mentioned, you know, Berlin Wall. <laughs> There's no connection here. Robin Paisley arrives in the year the Berlin Wall comes down. Um, she arrives in 1989, and, so, and she's here till 1997. So she is effectively the curator um, for the bulk of the 1990s. And the works that you see on screen here were collected top left 1990, top right 1991, and the bottom one 1992. So they're early works that come into the collection. So one thing that she's obviously keen to establish is, you could say, sort of filling gaps, getting people into the collection that perhaps hadn't or weren't there already. And certainly none of these had been collected before. So we have um, the youngest artist on the screen there, Emrys. Williams, born in 1958. Emrys, again, interesting, uh, this, this richness of, of the place that we call Wales, that we call home. But Emrys is, is, belongs to the kind of Liverpool Welsh. Um, the family then transferred to Colwyn Bay. He trains in London. He's had various times living in, Lund in, in, in Cardiff, but mostly he's done his teaching in, in North Wales, in Bangor, as, as Peter Prendergast did. And this may surprise you, um, in a way it sort of half surprised me, because the Emrys Williams we tend to know isn't, doesn't paint as loosely as this, or as freely as this. This is a relatively early work called Woman on the Promenade. 
So again, I was mentioning with you know Glenis Cool, how you know from Fishguard, living in Swansea, taught by Kerry Richards from Dunvant, who then in the war was living Cardiff. You know the importance of if you like coastal environments to those artists. It's the same with Emrys. So you know this this theme. I don't mean they always do that, but you know water or or the the edge of the land is always sort of a close subject to to Emrys. So woman on the promenade. It's that North Wales coastline that is an inspiration, but again, work exhibited um, in the south as well. And again, that theme of coast, of the relationship between art and water, if I can put it that way, um, extends to Michael Freeman, who was born in this city, although of course then it was a town, an ugly, lovely one maybe, um, in 1936, um, Angel visiting a shipwreck. So. Um, in a sense, of perhaps a bit like Valerie Gantz, and in fact they were fellow students at Cardiff, at, sorry, at Swansea School of Art, um, born, both born here, both studied in Swansea in the 50s, and Michael doesn't go that far, he goes as far as, he did have a phase in London, he was also a music librarian in Swansea, um, which some of you may or may not know, but his, his main kind of teaching activity was in Port Talbot, um, from 1970 to 2003. I think the best way to understand Michael's work, because it is elusive, it's not easy, it's allusive and it's elusive. Imagine for a moment you are in the gala and you're in the water and you're actually underwater and you're looking at things underwater. That's the kind of thing that you're seeing in this picture. And, and maybe to help you, I'll refer to something Michael wrote about his work, which appeared in the Friends of Glyndvivian newsletter in the winter of 2013, so only recently some of you may have seen that, a feature on, on, on Michael Freeman's work. He describes his work as the great rondo, I'll come back to some of those words, the great rondo of seed, wood, ship, shipwreck and barnacle, orchestrated by a colourful ensemble of weather and tides. Now to unpack that for you, um, the big inspiration for him is Rossini's Sands and the wreck of the Helvetia. And again, if you think of the poetry of it, um, the seed grows, it becomes a tree. The tree is chopped down, it becomes the ship. The ship goes out onto the water. It then perhaps wrecks back onto the beach, as the Helvetia did, and then it sort of the cycle begins. So it's that sort of cyclical aspect. And you'll see that he used the words rondo and orchestrated because perhaps an even bigger love for Michael Freeman, a bigger love than art, is his love of music. Um, he's a published musicologist, so there's that strong relationship between art and music, which again you can link back to people like Kerry Richards. You know, there's that big tradition in South Wales of musicality um, in paint, just as some people might argue there's that musicality in the word of, of Dylan Thomas. Third picture at the bottom there um, is by Jack Jones, I just, John at the back, you met, you'd have met Jack, would you? Did you meet Jack? Yes, very briefly. Yeah. Um, I arrived the year he died. I arrived in 1993, so I never met Jack Jones, but you know, he was a local boy, born in Swansea, self-taught. Um, it's a local location, Landor Viaduct, and I'm sure you can see, looking at that image, why, it was no, why he was known as the L Lowry of Wales. Delightful little picture, um, which was bought by the Glyn Vivian, in 1992 from Taliesin in Swansea, from Taliesin, because obviously um, 
you know, it was close to the end of his life by then, he had an exhibition there. So again, painting. So with the, the sort of the second curator that um, we're looking at primarily tonight, and, and, that, and this second decade, um, we see that as a painting um, is, is a kind of persistent art form. The two images on the left are by Sue Williams. Sue Williams born in the 1950s. Um, again, these are perhaps, I don't know, but perhaps for you, um, if you know her work, perhaps not so typical, and that's because they're earlier than, than the kind of the work that Sue has gone on to be known for. These are actually, if you think about it, they're 20 years old, these paintings. I was mentioning the coastal. I mean, these suggest beaches, don't they? But the beach ultimately is not, although she is from Cornwall, um, it's not the kind of main motif. I think the other things that we must draw from these works are the figure and linearity, the way the figure is drawn and that they were a combination of figures. Um, when I first arrived in Swansea in 1993, to, again, like so many other people coming into South Wales uh, or, or to Swansea, you know, to do with teaching and work, after a few years, we set up an, an artist-in-residency scheme and visiting lecture, a visiting artist scheme, and I arranged for Sue to work in the college, and I caused, well, Sue, Sue and I did it again, actually, with the current exhibition, you know, we, we saw the publication earlier, another stir was caused this year. But the, the stir that was caused that year was because Sue wanted, um, wanted us to employ two life models together. And, you know, the, the department said, well, they, you know, you can have one life model, you know, you can't have two, but we found a way around it. Well, we said, well, rather than have, you know, we'll have rather than have the model for, say, four weeks, we'll have the model for two weeks, but we'll have two models together. <laughs> so we, we found a way around it. But the reason I'm mentioning all that is you can sort of see the seeds of it here. It's the interaction of figures. Um, in, in Sue's work from the early 1990s, of course, more recently, as you can see from my notes on the screen there, in 2006, she became a representative, <coughs> representative for the Artist Mundi at, at the National Museum which again is about the relationships of, of, of figures. So here you have early Sue Williams in the collection. Alongside, again, um, is that a surprise to you as an audience? William Wilkins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, again, William Wilkins, a case yeah. of coincidence here, serendipity. William Wilkins, of course, is the mastermind behind Artist Mundi mm -hmm. and the National Botanic Garden and various projects. So we think of him in that context, but look at... Um, the background information. You'll notice that he was actually at Swansea's art school. So he was a student alongside Michael Freeman and Valerie Gantz. So he, he studied here. He tended to specialise in glass, which you'll find interesting, rather than painting. And then he went on to the Royal College. <coughs> Originally born in England, raised in Llandilo area, and of course back in the Llandilo area now. But um, yes, his paintings aren't so well known. Now this is a dance. Painted in 1983 and then acquired by the gallery a decade later, because so we're in the 90s now. I don't know whether it shows up in this image, but perhaps if you strain your eyes a bit, um, William's technique is pointillist. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of post-impressionist technique where you use these little tiny, they're incredibly labor-intensive, they're built up, they're kind of 
almost like bits of sand accreting, sort of series of dots. Yeah, so William Wilkins is also a painter, folks. And again, painting. So again, other artists coming into the collection um, in the 1990s, and other artists who are sort of emerging um, on the Welsh scene. One of them we've already seen at the bottom, Emerys Williams, this is a slightly more recent work. Um, it's called On the Pier, so again, that reference to coastline. Um, Emerys Williams had a show in the gallery in 1996, which was the year this work was acquired. It was called Sunny Spells. I remember the exhibition well. In the 1990s, I used to bring students regularly to the Glyn Vivian, and I remember the Glyn Vivian staff, probably John, you remember this, being surprised, because at that point I was the only lecturer in Swansea that was bringing students to the gallery regularly. But you know, I enjoyed it, I think, as much as they did. Um, the Sunny Spells was an amazing show, because Emrys, again, if we think of various media, not only was the exhibition a series of paintings based on the changeable weather of the South Wales or North Wales coastline, we know all about that, the changing weather on the coast. But he also made a film, which was kind of choreographed. There was this beautiful sort of film piece um, that was part of the exhibition as well in the 1990s. So again, he's at that point a painter and a filmmaker. That doesn't seem to have happened since. And again, top left, you know, Shawnee Reese James, now a very big name. Um, when this work was acquired in 1994, not such a big name. In, in the year that her piece, The Mirror, and again, again and again, her work is about her, isn't it? It's mm. about her looking at herself or looking at us. You know, in this earlier work from the 90s, it's a little bit perhaps more restrained. Um, and certainly the figure in the foreground is looking away from us. I mean, what she's doing is she's painting herself, looking in a mirror, in order to paint herself, the background. You know? So you've got that kind of complexity going on. Um, yeah, she had an exhibition in the gallery called Blood Ties, which again was a memorable show for me and for the students um, in the big space of the gallery um, in 1994. As I said, Emrys Williams had his show there in 1996. In between, there's an exhibition called Intimate Portraits. Uh, a very interesting show. And in fact, all three of these artists, Shani Rhys-James, Emrys Williams, and Tony Gove, all three were in this exhibition called Intimate Portraits, um, 1995. Now, this was commissioned by the gallery. Um, a series of artists were asked to make intimate portraits, but also a series of poets as well. So it was a poetry painting exhibition. And if you can remember that far back, um, I'm sure you can remember 1995. It's just, there's so much information here. But um, that was the year of UK Year of Literature, and it's when the Dylan Thomas Centre opened, 1995, and Jimmy Carter came over. You know, it was a, it was a big year for Swansea. Um, so as I say, all three, including the artist I haven't really mentioned yet, who, who I remember, and again was a fellow member of the Welsh group with me, Tony Gobel. Tony, born in Mid Wales, trained in North Wales, but based essentially for his, what turned out, he also sadly died too early, um, as did Peter Prendergast. They both died in, in 2007, um, which I, I found upsetting to see both those two significant individuals disappear. Um, but yeah, he essentially taught 
for what was going to be the rest of his life, a planner of a hall. It became a kind of a, a stalwart of that, that art centre. Some of you may know it in Cardiff. This, this piece is called Water Crossing. The, the sort of moustached figure is, I think, loosely based on himself. But I mean, those of you that remember Tony, he was generally bearded. <laughs> when I first knew him, his beard was here. By the time you know, he, he left us all, his beard was done here. <laughs> you know, he, he was turning into the garden gnome. <laughs> I went to a shed blessing of his. I must tell you that briefly. He had a shed blessing, I kid you not, and there were gnomes everywhere. But he was the biggest of them. Yeah, so again, um, three different styles of painting. Okay, last, last part of part one of the final talk. So this is the end of the 90s. I should briefly mention Alison Lloyd. When um, Robin Pacey finished her term and before Jenny arrived, Alison acted as acting curator for a couple of years, for 18 months. And this is the phase we're in now. Again, a another work by Jack Jones, the artist from Swansea was acquired. This is, again, um, a local scene, Zohar, Horeb, and the Villiers. Some of you may know these, these haunts. Um, and there was a big black coal tip at the end of the street, so that, that, that motif in the picture is not that much of an exaggeration. Acquired in 1998, and acquired in the same year, two works by David Carpanini, who I've also mentioned, again, another South Wales artist. Um, the one is called The Winner, it's a boy holding his prize racing pigeon. And the bottom picture there is called the Grig. So again, very much in that tradition that goes right back to what we saw in parts one and two, that idea of a, a Welsh environmentalism, um, which over the years has, has changed. Sorry, there is one more of 1990s. What does ND carry? ND stands for no date. Okay. Um, when I don't know the date of the work, it becomes ND. This is the end of the 90s. So we now have sculpture and painting. Some of you will remember the name Sir Alex Gordon. This is actually a bust of him by Ivor Roberts Jones, who is sort of a Welsh Borders sculptor um, who died in 1996. There's this, his centenary exhibition is on in the National Museum in Cardiff in the moment, at the moment. If you haven't seen it, you know, do go and have a look at that. Um, he, he trained in London and taught, became a significant kind of teacher at Goldsmiths, um, as you can see, for the immediate post-war period. And he made a head of Alex Gordon, who was the Swansea-born architect and also a serious art collector. And in fact, quite a lot of significant works came into the Glyn Vivian collection um, via um, this individual um, around the time of his death, um, thereabouts. It might have been just before or just after his death, I'm not quite sure, at the end of the 1990s. So that's one type of head, and the other type of head is by someone from the other, sort of range, other end of the age range, James Donovan, who, um, born in the upper valleys, if you like, in Hirwine, trained here in Swansea in the 1990s, and now teaches in Aberdeer. This is an early work by him called The Connoisseur, which dates to about 1998. And I haven't mentioned it yet, but the Sir Leslie Joseph Award was, was and is quite a big feature in, in Swansea and the South Wales art scene. It, it, it awards 
a prize to a promising young artist, and James Donovan was the second recipient of that award in 1998. And then the, this picture's result came into the collection in 1999. So we move into, we're well out of history now, we're well out of history. We move into the 2000s. Um, it's funny, isn't it? A funny thing, dates. And those of you that know me know that um, dates are quite important, I suppose. Being trained as, as an art historian as well as an artist, perhaps you know, dates would be significant to me. But you know, with the turn of the millennium, so much has happened for us as a society. Um, in terms of the context I'm talk, talking about, uh, Jenny Spencer Davis arrives as curator towards the end of 1999. So with the turn of the millennium, we have a new curator who is still our curator and has been a significant force um, since the turn of the millennium. Of course, the turn of the millennium also for us here in Wales and South Wales marked the inauguration of the National Assembly, you know, which had been voted for, I'm sure you remember, and it's still very much an issue, isn't it? You know, the, the National Assembly now, voted for in 97, but officially opened by the Queen in 1999. So I think there is a marked shift. There is, to use the jargon, a kind of paradigm shift in what is happening in the visual culture of South Wales with the turn of the millennium. And in a way, these, these sculpture examples, if you just think of the images I've been showing you so far, it's been predominantly painting and a different kind of imaging, and now we see a shift. So what I'd just like to read out is, um, I asked Jenny for some information about herself and about her aims. So I'm just gonna read out. So first of all, um, so the new curator's aim, the gallery's aim is the following, to redevelop the Glyn Vivian building to meet the needs of our 21st century audiences. So key words there, our, and 21st century audiences, so that theme of our, and is there, a, is there a difference as we go into the new century? And then her vision, and the gallery's vision, is the following, to increase participation and engagement with the Glyn Vivian Art Gallery collections, exhibitions, learning programmes, those three things, in a local, national and international context. Now, really ambitious, this, and she goes on for Swansea and Wales. So again, the kind of ambitions that Jenny has for the gallery, the ambitions of Swansea, or at least in certain parts of Swansea, um, I think it goes right back to people like William Grant Murray and his kind of ambitiousness um, that I talked about in, in my first talk. To give you a bit of background on Jenny before I talk briefly about these images, she was what turned out to be the last head of the Arts Council Gallery in Cardiff, which was known as Oriel. Um, some of you may recall that. It, it actually opened in 1974. I don't remember it then, um, even though I was in Wales then, I was in school. But it closed about 20 years later, in, 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 according to the records, in about 1994. So she turned out to be the last curator and, and head of that place. So her arrival in Swansea in 1999, I think, is a significant moment. It also, you know, talking about the turn of the millennium, it coincides with, dare I mention it, the short-lived centre for visual arts in Cardiff. 
which the national press, and by that I mean the English press, um, was very ready to report its failure. I mean, it, it did fail. It did fail in Cardiff. That opened, bearing in mind Oriel, you know, in the, in the capital of Wales, Cardiff had opened, it, it had run for 20 years, that had closed. There was this new, overly ambitious aim to set up the Centre for Visual Arts. It lasted about 12 months. Um, opened in 1999, closed in the year 2000. So I, I would argue that, that Jenny here in Swansea and, and the Glenvivian is sort of taking up, the, taking up that gauntlet, really, that, that due to the closure of Oriel, the closure of the Centre for Visual Arts. You know, we have the equivalent um, here, or we will do again when the gallery reopens. So, um, to talk about the works then, you can see that there's now an aim to collect um, in new ways. So, Robert Harding we saw before, but the work's moved on. It's, it's different kind of works. Soft option, as the title suggests, is soft. It's made of plastic. Rocking bowl is, is made of metal. And David Nash, um, an artist who, yes, um, born in England and active in North Wales, but active and exhibiting regularly in the South as well. Um, the gallery is very keen to bring in, if you like, the lesser and better known names in, in contemporary sculpture. So we have Robert Harding, David Nash. Remember what Jenny mentioned there, local, national and international contexts. And so it continues. Um, <coughs> painting, yes, but also photography. And I would argue that there are certain similarities, perhaps, between this painting and, and this photography. On the left, we have work by David Tress, who, London-born, but, but based in Pembrokeshire since 1976. And on the right, Pete Davis, um, born in Cardiff and, and who lives in West Wales. So both these artists have moved um, to sort of rural parts. This is a sort of typical, I always want to use the word kinetic when I talk about David Tress's painting. He, he does come from a performance arts background, um, and I, I do think his painting is like performance. Again, difficulty to see in reproduction. We try to make the images as large as possible for you, but if you look at David's work, you know, the you know, we talk about gesture, say, in Jackson Pollock. There's a huge amount of gesture and process happening in the work. He paints on location. You can feel the elements when you, when you look at the David Tress painting. And, you know, the title perhaps gives you a hint of that, looking at Cold Winter, that came into the gallery in 2001. And then Pete Davis's work from his Wild Wood series. Um, this is a series of photographs. Um, the top one is called T. Cannell. The bottom one is called Pen Gethley. And again, perhaps to help you into these photographs, if I just read out something um, that Pete Davis himself has said about his work. Beauty, mystery, myth, spirituality, and history, that's an interesting word, um, are all represented here, all significant aspects of the landscape. Sorry, all significant aspects of the landscape. So he sees the, the landscape not as a kind of neutral place, but as loaded. And if, you know, I mentioned Maxen earlier on, talked about the landscape tradition, you know, landscape is not a neutral place. You know, there are elements of beauty, mystery, certainly history for us in Wales. The turn of the millennium, as well as uh, it, it heralding the arrival of Jenny Spencer Davis as curator, 
also heralded the inauguration of the, the Wakelin Award. So um, David Tress came into the collection as part of the second Wakelin Award in 2001. So the Wakelin Award began in the year 2000. Isn't it nice and neat? <laughs> I'll tell you, to get to this neatness took a bit of a while <laughs> to, to find this. But, um, and Pete Davis, winner of the third Wakelin Award the following year in 2002. Again, some faces you'll know, perhaps literally, and some you won't. So again, in the 2000s, the, the collection, and, and certainly South Wales, is venturing perhaps beyond painting. Yes, painting continues, but mixed media work is developing and so does video. So we again have a Shani, but look at the kind of intensity of this picture compared to the last one. It's, you know, more recent, um, certainly in your face. If you've met Shani, any of you, you'll know she's a very intense person as well. So she's communicating that in this piece called Head, which was purchased from the Martin Tinney Gallery in 2003 for the collection. David Garner, I, I talked about moving beyond painting. David Garner, um, whose work incidentally was in our university centenary show, so I was talking to David only a couple, about a month ago. Um, David trained as a painter. You can see from the details there that he was born in Edward Vale, so he's again a Valleys boy, um, a Valleys artist, trained initially at Newport, went to the Royal College, and originally was a painter. But this work in the collection, it's called Politics Eclipsed by Economics, which dates to the late 90s and was acquired in 2004, shows him at that transition point, because he's really become a kind of objet trouvé installation artist now. But um, what you're looking at is a surface that is painted, but there are, um, there are objects that have been painted over. So you've got the, um, the working jackets of the miners that are across the bottom that have become like a furrowed field that he's painted on top. And I don't know if you can read it, but politics eclipsed by economics appears in yellow lettering across the top. Maybe difficult to see. It's <coughs> just across there. Sorry about that with the images. But um, that's actually in, in wiring, in electrical cabling. So David is at this point of really moving from being a painter to being an assemblage artist and is on his way to working in three dimensions. And it occurred to me putting this talk together, that very first installation piece I showed you by Peter Ellis, who, who was active in Cardiff, whether that was an influence, you know, whether, I must ask David, whether he had any connection with Peter Ellis, because there seemed to be co correspondences there, possibly. So inevitably the research for this throws up more possibilities. And again, this moving into new media continues with, again, an artist that some of you will know, lives locally, Tim Davis, born 1960, so again, just about the youngest artist on the current slide. Born in Pembrokeshire, so I've mentioned Pembrokeshire several times tonight. Um, trained in England, in the southeast of England mainly. Um, again, like Sue Williams, has represented um, Wales in Artist Mundi, in this case in 2004, and also at the Venice Biennale in 2011. So, as he was emerging in 2005, 
if I can put it that way, he became the sixth recipient of the Wiccan Award, and the gallery acquired this early video piece by him called Flags Over Solver, Solver Pembrokeshire. So you've got a monitor there with flags on it from 1992, quite an early work by him, and what was then a brand new work, European Drawing Paris. So again, Tim is one of these artists, he, he is very influential on the Swansea and the Wales art scene, because he's an educator as well as an exhibitor, um, works in, the, in a lot of different media, and you know, is having an effect on a lot of younger generation artists. So again, this sort of multimedia, <coughs> multimedia South Wales, this multimedia Glenvivian in a way, continues um, here again. So top left we have a work by the youngest artist I'm going to show you tonight. <laughs> it's certainly making me feel old. Um, Richard Monaghan, born in 1979. Um, he's the youngest artist. So he's born about the time this phase of work that I'm showing you begins. Born 1979. Trained here in Wales is currently, those are his undergraduate training dates at the beginning of the 2000s. But I'm not sure if he's completed it yet, but he's certainly, I was talking to him last, a couple of years ago, was still working on his PhD, which is about investigating drawing and the kind of the languages of what drawing involves. So this is the kind of bizarre self-portrait, I suppose. He calls it a portrait with pencil. It was interesting looking with Ellie Dawkins from the Glyn Vivian collection, um, looking at the way this piece was recorded in the archives. It's actually an oil painting, but he, Richard is very insistent that it's documented as an oil drawing. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a kind of intermediate stage, really. Um, alongside him is an artist who means a lot to me, as, as some of you again will know, Ernest Zaboli. Zaboli, Ron Verborn, like Glyn Jones, um, but in this case part of the first Ron the Group, the original Ron the Group, Glyn was part of the second Ron the Group, and we've got Kerry in the audience here who was part of that second Ron the Group. So, you know, there's a strong Ron the presence um, throughout the 20th century in South Wales and, and now into the 21st. Um, Zaboli died in 1999, but this is a work from the last decade of his life, um, painted in 1993. And it came into the collection, as you can see, in 2006. And that was on the back of um, an exhibition that I brought to Swansea, which was the Ernest Zaboli Retrospective, which I, I researched and put together over a number of years as part of my PhD. And um, it toured Wales in 2004 and five. And, and came to the big gallery space in the Glyn Vivian in 2005, as I say, in the second part of that. This was one of the pictures that was exhibited. But again, you know, Zaboli has an evolution to the work, and this is his, what I call his mature style, but phase that I've described as his nocturnes, so there's a deliberate, perhaps, kind of musical association there. It's, it's sort of inner eye painting, he knows the Ronda so well now that he can paint it almost with his eyes shut. And in fact, difficult perhaps for you to see, but notice the title, Painter and Subject Matter. This is actually him. It's as if you can see through his house at the cross sections, and his wife is downstairs here. And here he is painting, and he's got his back to the actual view because he knows it now. 
This is the kind of magical night view. I mean, our imaginations, I think, all run more freely if we're looking at a night scene, if we're looking at the stars, if we're looking at a night urban picture. Uh, you know, that's the kind of vision of Zaboli. A different kind of vision is the work of Alid Rees-Hughes. And again, I think there's a kind of a painterly quality to his photography. Aled, um, again, sort of born between the other two, born in the 1960s. This is a series known as Farwell Rock, which is in South Wales area. Aled was actually born in the Rhondda, like Zaboli, but didn't live there long, and was raised in Cwmllinfer, which is, again, quite local to us, up the sort of Swansea Valley, Carmarthenshire area. And what he's looking at in these photographs is the same section of ground, again another interpretation of the Welsh landscape. He's looking at it at different times, across not just seasons but across the years. So it's this, if you look carefully you could just about perhaps see some of the shapes. It's the same, exactly the same locality. In number two it's 2002 and in version number four it's, it's a year later, it's 2003. This work um, was exhibited at the Nationalised Deadwood, which came back to Swansea in 2006. It's when he, he won the gold medal, and as a result, these works were acquired by the gallery. The series actually consists of 10 works, and the gallery bought four of the 10 from the series. Um, I think these are cropped, because my memory of them is they were square. But I haven't cropped them. But I think it's just an archive thing, maybe. But I, I need to double check that. But I, I recall the images as square. Um, <laughs> no talk about the last ten years or so and South Wales would be would be complete without Peter Finnewall, would it? Um, Peter Finnewall. Um, yes, uh, yes, that is him in the, in the combat gear. Top left, this is Eve of Destruction. The middle image is Forest Fire, which of course he started. And the bottom image is Armageddon. You know, what we all do is <coughs> you light a fire in a greenhouse, don't you? Um, Humour is such a difficult thing to do, but I think... It, I had to sort of get onto his wavelength, but now I'm on it. I think he pulls it off... I think he pulls off this mixture of art and humour. Um, he, if you go into his website, he says, you know, born Clanetli, but it, it's Pontiet's area. It's, it's more local than that. Um, some of his early work was based on the family house, which was known as, <coughs> the series of work was known as Gwendraith House. Um, another series, which these were working towards, was known as Zen Gardener. So again, if you start thinking about it, you can, you can see the humour. Um, let me just read out the quote, which I'm sure you started reading up there. These filmic theatres of the absurd contain a delicate balance between control and chaos. The flux and flow of life as it happens unexpectedly and independently in front of the camera adds to the drama of anticipation. Um, yeah, he does like playing with fire literally and metaphorically and uh, what more can I say so again moving further into the decade these are works acquired 
in 2005, sorry, 2007 and 8. There's another Peter Finnamore bottom left, which is called Birdwatcher. I know you can't really see it, but you can see that even the cables are arranged. It's like a kind of tree, and there are little monitors. It's a wonderful little film, Birdwatcher. Maybe that's because, as well as our, being an artist, I'm also a bird, <coughs> birdwatcher. But you see him standing in his combat gear, like I don't know, very still. And then, of course, the birds arrive and things happen. Enjoy, enjoy. Anyway, that's Birdwatcher, which is again part of his Zen Gardener series. Um, another video artist that's active in South Wales, uh, but isn't using humour, is, is, I was going to say more serious. I mean, Peter Finnamore, if you dig below the surface, he's very, very serious. I mean, humour often does that, it's disguising things. But more obviously serious is as Anthony Shapland, perhaps. Um, who runs G39 Gallery in Cardiff, born in Pontypridd. So again, that valley's connection comes back. This is a, um, a still from his video called A Sign. And I suppose it's playing on that idea of a sign. It's, it's certainly a sign of rubbish on the roadside. This, was, this ran in the Glyn Vivian. And I don't know if you can see in the foreground what you've got. Again, it's playing with fire, but in a different way. It's a Christmas tree on its side that at a certain point it spontaneously ignites and then it goes out. A Christmas tree. Um, I, I start thinking things like a burning bush. I mean, there's all kinds of associations that might go on in your head. Um, rubbish, the treatment of the environment. There's so many ways you can read Anthony's work. Top left and right, of course, is the, again the continuing tradition of paint. Um, we have a, a work by Brendan Burns, who is a colleague. Um, we both work at the University of South Wales, as it now is called. This is a painting of his called Taste of Light series, which again, I suppose, I think this is the case for Brendan. I'd like to use that word synesthesia, where, I mean, obviously for an artist, whether you're a painter or a video artist, or a human being, if I can put it that way. You know, light is important, the importance of light. But maybe artists are obviously attuned to that. But it's how then it manifests itself for you. And, you know, Brendan says he can almost taste it. It's a kind of synesthesia. I mean, I think the other aspect of that is he does, you know, as he said, I wasn't born in Wales. In fact, he was born in Kenya but I married into Wales. Um, he, he walks the Pembrokeshire coast, and of course you are going to taste, perhaps, light if you're on the Pembrokeshire coast, aren't you? Anyway, that's uh, a picture um, which was part of the eighth Wakelin Award of 2007. Top right, Terry Setch, who I mentioned quite a few slides ago, Once Upon a Time There Was, a picture that goes right back to the early 80s, but is acquired in 2007. And again, remember what I was saying about Setch, Penarth, the coast, Marconi, um, the threat of nuclear destruction, because it goes back to 1981. Well, the other little connection for you in that last slide is that Brendan Burns was taught by Terry Setch, and both of them studied at Slade, and interestingly, Setch and Burns are interested in coastal environments, I don't think that series of connections is accidental. And staying with the idea of sort of art and place, with these works that were acquired in, two, all of them acquired in 2009 by the gallery, so 
We're in very recent times now. Um, a work by Catherine Webster, who grew up just north of Aberystwyth. Um, Havod II. Again, it's a kind of kinetic painting. I, I mentioned us getting um, Sue Williams in to do a workshop with us in Swansea. On another occasion, we got Catherine to come in and do a workshop, and it helped me understand her work. She had a major show in the Glyn and I was struggling to get to grips with it. But what she did with the students was, as we walked to the Glyn she said, I want you to draw as you walk. So as, as the street, Walters Road, is presenting itself to you, you draw perhaps the silhouette of a car, then you walk on, and you notice a bit of the pavement, and you draw that and then you'd walk on and see a bit of house looking up at a building, but you're superimposing the lines on top, on top, on top. So you've actually recorded the journey. Yeah. And <coughs> suddenly I was understanding her work better. She's a very sophisticated person, Catherine, but her work, I would argue, is not easy until you sort of unlock it. And I think that's what the way that you should look at Havod. Um, I take this to be the Havod that um, John Piper, looked at. Um, David Tress, again, it's a different kind of kinetic. Whereas Catherine takes as her starting point this overlaying of images and then she'll abstract from it. David is, you know, he's in his location. So it is a view of a place, but then he's watching everything come past. You know, the, the grass being moved around by the wind, the rain coming through. So if you like, he's the quiet point and everything is moving around him. Whereas if you like Catherine, she's, she's, the, she's the storm. <laughs> Different approaches. Um, Anthony Shapland again at the bottom. Another image, you saw the, the flaming Christmas tree, a sign. This is um, from 2009. It's actually a video still from 2009 and acquired in 2009. The title may be a clue. Only your eyes are unclosed. Does that ring a bell, that line? Well, it's from Dylan Thomas's Under Milk Wood. Um, and what Anthony did, what Anthony did is, um, again, I think this is quite clever, because it certainly appealed to me. Um, he filmed in 60 different locations around Swansea, starting one hour before sunrise. And he moved... Like, like as if you're the clock. Mm -hmm. So he starts filming north, second location a fraction off north, and keeps going round like a clock. Until an hour later, he's back to the start and the sun's up. Yeah. And there's some text, and the text does or doesn't match the image. Um, again, a piece that needs thinking about. Just a couple of slides left, where we now go into the 2010s our own decade. We're more or less into the present now. Two more and then my conclusion. Okay, um, so in the 2010s, again, the gallery um, reflecting practice in South Wales is collecting a different type of sculpture. So in this one, I'm looking at some of these new makers. Top left, we had Jonathan Anderson, um, by my books, a young artist, born in 1977. Young like you, Tom. Um, Mary Wells, a mint career artist, <coughs> and Claire Kearney, who is somewhere in between the two of them. Jonathan trained here in Swansea, 
um, Claire Kearney, originally you know, from Ireland, trained in Cardiff, and Mary Wells had an early training, as you can see. If you look, she first trained in the 60s and then comes back into training in Aberystwyth in the 1980s. Top left, we have concrete house with coal seam. Again, this recurring thing at times throughout my, my three lectures is not far away is that theme of industry and coal. And it, Jonathan, is re, as a younger artist, is revisiting that whole question of the kind of new, the new world, if you like, represented by concrete, and the old world represented by the coal that is in the crack in the middle. Claire does, perhaps, you know, coming from an Irish tradition, you'd expect this kind of mythology, if that's the right word to use, this series of haunting figures, which certainly fascinate me. This is Saint Sebastian. I mean, her work has been shown all around Wales in the Mission Gallery and other places. And then Mary Wells doing these also haunting figures. Just to give you a couple of quotes, if we go back to Jonathan's work, um, this was from his series House, and he was the recipient of the <coughs> 11th Wakelin Award in 2010. And Tim Davis, who I mentioned earlier, who, who's been such a sort of significant figure on the South Wales art scene in, in recent years, um, wrote this about Jonathan. Anderson describes coal as a dark, mysterious, almost mythical material. By tainting everyday objects with this evocative and malevolent substance, he plays with archetypal forms that resonate within the human psyche. So again, Tim trying to locate the practice there. And, you know, this is a mysterious substance, isn't it, coal? Certainly the young generation don't even know what it is. Um, at the university, you know, because we began as a school of minds, um, they don't know that. And I asked them, you know, our, our foundational undergrads, most of them have never actually held a piece of coal. So it is a fascinating material for the younger generation. I, I don't mean that in, in any way, in a patronising way. It is a new material for them. Um, Mary Wells, the other end of the kind of age group, because you can see, you know, she's, what is she, 30 years older than Jonathan. She won the Wakelin Award the following year, the 12th Award in 2011. Um, Andrew Green, who's in the room, was the selector for that award. Um, and again, to quote, um, to have a quote, which was on the Martin Tinney Gallery website about Mary's work. It is about the forgotten imagery of childhood stories and our cultural myths. So again, this kind of rabbit figure which she calls small ghost. Um, you know, we have that kind of fantastic world of our childhood in our heads. It's maybe that we're not in tune with it or in touch with it very often. And certainly, perhaps, more obviously, we're in touch with more recent cultural myths. So, the last slide before my conclusion. On the left, again, Jonathan Anderson. Um, in the top, it's just a detail, really. You can see one of the works I just showed you, Cold Sea. But at the bottom, which is a detail of what's in the background, it's his Cold Dust Mandala. Again, this obsession with fascination with the, the materiality of coal. Um, this is a piece from 2009, which came to the collection in 2011. And to come as near as I can to the present for you, in 2013, the gallery acquired Chameleon by Helen Sear. Helen is a colleague um, of mine at the University of South Wales. She's at the Newport campus. I'm at Trafores campus. 
Chameleon, interesting word, um, something that changes, and certainly if you saw the piece, it is a still from a video, this sunflower is sort of comes alive. Technically what she did, she was filming a real sunflower whilst holding a flashlight on it, and, and there's a kind of a narrative that develops. Um, the sunflower piece, Chameleon, as you'll know from the recent Flynn Vivian Friends newsletter, was the recipient of the 14th Wakelin Award in 2013. The selector this time was Nicholas Thornton from the National Museum. Helen's work um, was part of a, a touring exhibition that went around Wales in 2013, which was originated by Oriel Davis Newtown, um, called Lua. And you know, I think all of us will find the sunflower at some point alluring. And as this is my last slide before my conclusion, I wanted to sort of sort of <coughs> pause a minute and sort of look at these very recent examples of practice and think about this whole century. So you know, in, in Jonathan's work, because he's using coal, I think we have that echo, as I said, that echo of industry that's punctuated our practice throughout the last hundred years in South Wales. <coughs> and of course the primary industry in South Wales has been the coal industry. Similarly, I think the sunflower, the chameleon video piece, has resonances. In the Friends newsletter of winter 2013, two associations are made about chameleon, the sunflower. Um, first of all, Helen herself links it to Man Ray's sunflower photograph that he, he did in 1934. It's a very beautiful, Man Ray's photographs are beautiful from the 1930s. Um, similarly, Nicholas Thornton, who was the selector for that work, um, he also connects the sunflower to a work by Paul Nash, who again, very, very fine painter, who, who did this beautiful work towards the end of the Second World War called Eclipse of the Sunflower. And you know, the, in the video, the, you know, this flower sort of looms in and out of light. And again, the idea of the eclipse, you know, does the sunflower represent life? So those two associations by Thornton and Sear are made in the newsletter, but I think I'd like to add a third association here, this is mine. And of course, if we're talking about the sunflower, we're talking about art, we are of course thinking, aren't we? All of you are thinking it now. <laughs> we're thinking of Van Gogh. Um, you know, Van Gogh painted the sunflowers in 1888. And you know, a lot, as, as, as we know, has been written about Van Gogh, but they are more than just sunflowers. You know, they are meditations on life and death. You know, Van Gogh, you know, that the myth of the madman is absurd, as we all know. Um, he was a highly intelligent, multilingual, thoughtful artist. And they're, they're deeply resonant of meaning. So I think that's another kind of lineage. So, you know, Helen, yes, she's referencing Man Ray, she herself said. Yes, perhaps she's referencing Paul Nash as um, Nicholas Thornton said, but I think there's echoes of Van Gogh as well. And for our South Wales connection there for you, of course, there is one. The Davis sisters, who bequested work to the National Museum, bought a Vincent Van Gogh, Ray it over there. So you know, we've got that kind of link to Van Gogh in our very own, one of our very own South Wales collections. The last slide. So. Um, as always, it's been a bit of a roller coaster for you, but to get through a century in, in three talks is um, a challenge. What I'd like to do now is perhaps just sum up in, in a few other ways. 
um, tonight's talk. Down the left and right are images that you'll have seen tonight. And as I've suggested, I think the period divides into two halves. First of all, there's the 1980s and the 1990s, the first half, if you like, of our art scene, the art scene beyond history. Um, this is when two curators were active here in Swansea, first of all, Hilary Woolley, and then Robin Paisley. This is the period when there's an interest in modern, everyday materials and objects, alongside, as we've seen, a continuing interest in painting and also the acquisition of new painters into Glenvivian collections. But in the second half of this third of the 20th and now 21st century that I've been looking at, that is from the year 2000 onwards, we've seen a shift as well. Um, this is with the arrival of Jenny Spencer Davis as curator. Um, it is about the developing of an engagement with all aspects of what the Glyn Vivian has come to mean for us. Its collections, which I've been focusing on in these talks, its exhibitions, which I've alluded to, and its learning programmes that I've hardly touched upon um, in various contexts. And in these last 15 years, almost, that, that Jenny's now been in post, we've seen an eclectic mix of older art forms, so yet some painting is still there, but alongside it we have um, new types of sculpture and also newer art forms which I can sum up as photography and video. So our art scene over this last phase has seen the rise of the woman curator. It's seen the rise of Hilary Woolley, Robin Paisley, Jenny Spencer-Davis, which sort of counterbalance the male curators that we saw at the beginning of the century, people like William Grant Murray and David Bell. Exceptional men at the beginning of the period exceptional women now at the end of the period. And this hundred years has also seen an increase in women artists represented in the collection. If you look, it's 50-50 on the screen there. Um, so there, there have been big changes across the century. A greater diversity, I think, is, is the age we live in now. And I'd just like to leave you with one final thought, and that is the future. Um, that, that has been the historical past and the contemporary past up to our present, but just to leave you hanging with the idea of the future, it, you know, it is the prospect of a reopened Glyn Vivian, which will certainly be renovated and enlarged, and kind of new things that are going to come on board that really will decide on how significant this phase since the year 2000 has been. You know, the future in these difficult times and exciting times is the story for future talks. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you.